Happy seventh day, everyone.
Go to page 14. Page 14. Everybody sing real loud. Sing, sing, sing. Good you be free from the burden of there's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you Ah. Uh-huh. 
On these days, Jesus will send me somebody to help. Let's go in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you woke us up again another day. Thank you for getting us through these past few days and last month. Thank you for getting us through the month of November. And thank you for getting us through all of this year. And this year is almost gone. Time is going fast. That you have been faithful to preserve us, to teach us, to lead us, and to save us. Thank you for saving us from ignorance. Thank you for saving us from lies and deceptions and false religion. Thank you, Father, for everything that you have already done, for what you continue to do, and for what you're going to do. You are faithful and you are strong. You are God Almighty. Thank you, Lord, for preserving you, yourself, a people, and a church. 
Thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world. We do ask, Father, that you would help us today to receive the truth. Help us, Father, to understand better than ever before. Help us to continue to let go of the deceptions and lies and false doctrines and to embrace more of the truth. Help us to grow in maturity in your spirit and in your truth and in your will. Help us, Lord, this day, and please bless this service and this sermon. Help us, Father, that there won't be any hindrance to the sermon itself. We pray that you be glorified in this and your people increased. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise Jesus. Well, hello, everybody. I hope that you're having a good seventh day. Let's turn to our history book, volume number two. And let's go to the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15, and this is page 60 in volume number 2 in my copy, but in your copy it might be a page or two different as we continue to update the Alpha and Omega Bible translation. The page numbers may change a page or two every now and then as we continue to update the Bible. But in my copy, it is page 60, 1 Samuel 15. And today's day in the Roman Catholic calendar that the Western world uses is December the 8th. It is December 8th, 2018 AD, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But in God's calendar, it is the first day of the ninth month. First day of the ninth month. So that's good that now we have entered the month of Hanukkah. Amen. We have entered the month of Hanukkah. This is going to be the month that Hanukkah occurs. And the Roman Catholic calendar is the first day of next month, but in God's calendar it will be the 25th day of the ninth month is the first day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is eight days, and we should actually call it the Fiesta of Dedication. But it's okay to call it Hanukkah as well. That is the word that the Jews and most people use. But that's not really the biblical word. That's not really the biblical name of it. The biblical name is the Fiesta of Dedication. But we're just talking about vocabulary, and it's okay if you say tomato and I say tomato. It's okay if you say potato and I say patata. You know, it's just words. And uh, Hanukkah, Fiesta of Dedication, will be the 25th day of the ninth month. So that's 24 days away. We are 24 days away from Hanukkah. Counting, we should start counting the days. Just like a lot of people count the days to Christmas, we should count the days to God's true holy days, special days of celebration. Amen. We should count the days to Hanukkah, 24 days. And 
uh, although this year it falls on January 1st, it, it will it will fall on a different date every year in the Roman calendar. So sometimes it will be the first couple of weeks of December or the second week or third or even the fourth week of December or the first week of January. So it will float as far as the Roman Catholic calendar on different dates. But when you're following God's calendar, it always starts on the 25th day of the ninth month, which will be January 1st this time. And we'll have a special service that day, special worship service. Uh, I forget what day of the week the first comes on, but whatever day of the week it comes on, we're going to have a special worship service that day. And it will be at a special time, a different time of the day that we usually have services. Because on the holy days, we try to have it at a different time so that other people in other nations might be able to join us. So like AJ and uh, Sharda and other people that live in other time zones and maybe hopefully meekness and uh, Seth and other people in other nations, other continents, that they won't have to be listening to the services at three, four, five, six o'clock in the morning. Uh, they might be able to listen at 9, 10, 11, or midnight and be able to listen at the same time as we. So we can all listen all at one time all across the world. I can't do that every seventh day because I can't get up every seventh day at five, six, seven o'clock in the morning. I just, I'm not an early riser. I'm not used to getting up at five o'clock four o'clock in the morning, and my wife and I, we have a horrible time of sleeping. We cannot sleep at night, and it's just not possible for us to be uh, having services that early in the morning. But when it comes a holy day, we make an exception, and we make a sacrifice for you and we get up early and we struggle and we do what we can do to make it possible on the special holy days to make it possible for people in other time zones and other places around the world to join us at the uh, all at the same time so that we can all gather together on the special holy days. And we're planning, hopefully, God willing, we might start having the video, live video sermons as well on the first day of Hanukkah, January 1st. Hopefully. Please be praying for that. I've not yet worked out all the technical details about how to do this, and it, it might not happen. Uh, I have to work out a lot of details about how to do this uh, with a limited ability that I have uh, financially and technically uh, how to do this. And uh, I don't know yet for sure whether if we do the video, if you're going to be able to see only my wife or me and her both, I've not yet worked out all the details. It's not really important for anybody to see me 
it's only important that you hear the word of God. This is not about me. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. And I do not want anybody to worship me nor idolize me. Okay? It's okay to honor me and respect me. We should honor and respect our true ministers and our true pastors. And that is biblical and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I do fear, I am concerned, that some people might idolize me, go over and above uh, honor and respect. And I do not want that to happen. And that's one of the reasons that I have never done uh, sermons on video before, in addition to finances and technical problems. Uh, and the reason why my YouTube videos and other videos that I never show my face I do not want people to idolize me. It is not about me. And the reason we're going to start doing videos, or at least try to start doing videos for live sermons, is so that people who are deaf, who cannot hear me, that they will be able to see the sign language. And that is the reason, that is the purpose for the new videos of the live sermons that we're going to try to do. It, our goal is to reach more people and to help our brother Seth and his wife Yannette in the nation of Ethiopia. They're both deaf. They cannot hear. That if we do sign language in a live video, that they would be able to join us for services and hear the word of God through sign language. That is the purpose. And I do not want the purpose to be people being able to Google their eyes at me, look at me. I do not, that is not my desire. That's not God's will. It's just for people to look at me and see how handsome I am. That is not the goal. The goal is to get the word of God to more people, to the people who cannot hear. And that is the most important thing. Amen? So please be in prayer about all this. Also prayer for my wife to finish learning the sign language. She's still in the process of learning sign language. She knows a whole lot of sign language, but there's still some words that she needs to practice and learn and so forth. And, and also, she has a tremendous amount of pain in her arms. So this, is, this could be difficult for her. It may even be impossible for her to do this. So please be in prayer about her arms for healing for herself as well as healing for her so that she can do this service of uh, sign language interpretation for people. So it's important for herself to be healed and it's important that other people be able to receive this in sign language. And uh, so lots of prayers are needed. Prayers for me to learn how to do this on the computers, how the technical aspect of it and any financial aspect of it. Please be in prayer for the finances of this ministry. We do not receive tithes from many people. There's only uh, two people sending their tithes. But we are an international 
worldwide ministry, we are sending Bibles and CDs and music and songbooks and gifts and literature and everything to people all across the world. And there are people all across the world that are depending upon us to send them uh, supplies, literature and flyers and, and things. And, and, and this comes out of my pocket and Brittany's pocket. And we have to do without uh, many, many times. In fact, my own copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible, I did not even have an updated copy of the Bible that I published. I did not even, I'm the publisher, I'm the one that translated it. And I did not even have a copy of the most recent update until just last week. It caused a financial problems because only two people are sending their tithes. And tithes are very, very important. That is a commandment. It's not one of the Ten Commandments, but it is still one of his commandments to do tithes. And people, a lot of people, they want to pay tithes only if, only if uh, they have enough money left to pay tithes. And that's not a tithe. That is not a tithe to send money only if you have money left. A tithe, by definition, is your first 10% of what you earn and make and receive. Your first 10%, not your last 10%. So when people send their last 10%, that is not a tithe. Tithe is your first. 10%. It is when you very first get paid, as soon as that money gets in your hand, that you send the 10% immediately. Unless it's impossible for you to do so because of technical problems being in a different nation. And then God understands. God understands if you have a technical problem being in a different nation and cannot send the money right away. You might have to wait a month two months, six months, or whatever, in order to be able to send it as far as technical computer problems. If you have a computer problem, a technical problem of being able to do this, that's different. Amen. And there, there are other exceptions as well. And some people, I have told some people that you don't need to send your tithes because uh, you're even more poor than I am. And in that case, that could be an exception. Uh, and so that's not really the topic today, but it needed to be said that I need your prayers for the finances of this ministry so that I can continue to do what is necessary to share God's word and his prophecies, his revelations, his warnings, and his messages to the world, to everybody as much as possible, because time is short, and it is very urgent, extremely important, that I warn as many people as possible about what is going to occur. We ain't got much time left, and it is time that people start sacrificing their own needs so that other people around the world can receive God's word. It is time that people start putting 
the ministry and God's word over and above their own needs. Me and Brittany has been doing that for years. And it's time that other people help us to deliver this word of God to, to, the, to the world. Amen? Um, please be in prayer about all these things that I've been talking about. Now, today's topic is, uh, I can say this word, I usually can say it, but I'm having one of those stutter moments of pathism. Pathism equals self-destruction. That is the topic today. Pathesis, pathism equals self-destruction. A pathesis is a person who does not believe in war and thinks that we should never fight a war and never hurt anyone for any reason. A pathesis does not believe in owning guns for any reason at all and that we should never go to war with anybody, but we should always just uh, be at peace with everybody, regardless of the situation. And that is honestly, I mean, as, as I'm saying it, doesn't that sound pretty ridiculous to be at peace with everybody, regardless of the situation? That is, that is honestly, come on now, that is just not reality. Amen? It's just not reality. The, the, the reality is we live in a wicked world, and if we do not practice self-defense and even offense, not only defense, but offense as well, if we do not practice both offense and defense, we're going to get slaughtered. Amen? Offense is when you do the attacking, and defense is when you are defending yourself from attack. And both is necessary. Uh, not only in football and sports, but in war and reality of life. You have to attack the enemy first. Do the first strike, do the first punch. Sometimes. It is necessary sometimes. Yesterday, here in America, was Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day because uh, that was the date in history that Pearl Harbor, uh, Hawaii, was attacked by Japan. And it was a horrible day. Lots of people were killed. I think over 2,000 people were killed in Hawaii. And most people, don't, most people do not realize that it was not just Hawaii, Pearl Harbor military installation there in Hawaii. It was not only Pearl Harbor that was attacked, but the Japanese also attacked the state of Oregon and California as well. It was not only Hawaii that the Japanese attacked. Most people don't understand or realize this. They've never heard this before. And over the, over the next uh, few months after that, or years after that, the Japanese continued to attack America. It was not just a one strike. It was not just one day. 
and they they started doing uh, hot air balloons loaded with bombs that they would launch these hot air balloons from Japan, and hot air balloons carrying the bombs would float across the ocean and uh, float over, come to America. The hot air balloons would uh, float over land in America and then explode. And uh, there was even uh, a woman and child that was killed in the state of Washington from one of these hot air balloons, as well as some direct bombing from the Japanese in the state of Washington and in the state of California. And there was these hot air balloons with bombs was seen across 15 states in the United States, not just one or two states, but 15, at least 15 states across America, as far east as uh, Iowa and Michigan, even as far east as Michigan, that people were seeing these hot air balloons that had floated all the way across from Japan. And these hot air balloons were sent by the Japanese army in order as a, as a attack, just like the Palestinians are doing almost the exact same thing right now and have been for the last few months of sending kites across the Israeli border uh, with these kites loaded with bombs or on fire and in order to for these kites to go across the border and as a way of attacking the, Israel, the Israelites. And another thing a lot of people do not know about Pearl Harbor and World War II is that the war was already occurring before Pearl Harbor in Europe, and the Americans did not want to get involved in that war. Most Americans did not want to join the World War II, and, but they should have. They should have gotten involved earlier in the war than what they did. But most Americans was like, that's their problem. That is a fight over there. That is war over there. We don't want any part of it. And they waited until America was attacked first before they said, we have got to fight. Amen. But they should have seen the Jews suffering and other people suffering. They should have seen the suffering of millions and millions and millions of people that needed our help. And they should have been brave enough, bold enough, and wise enough, and righteous enough to have gotten into the war before they did. But like most Americans, the people want to wait until we are attacked first and then respond. And sometimes that is too late. I read an article in the news just a couple of days ago about 
Afghanistan, and Pakistan. America has been at war in Afghanistan uh, for quite a few years, uh, ever since 9-11-2001. So like 17 years that we have been at war in Afghanistan. That's ridiculous. We should have won that war within one month because of the power and the strength that America has, especially the power and the strength that America did have in 2001-2002. Amen. They should have been, America should have been able to go into Afghanistan and wipe those people out and defeat them very quickly and very easily. But they did not. And 17 years later, we are still fighting and dying in Afghanistan. And now, President Trump, God bless his heart, wants to get out of Afghanistan, knowing and realizing that we are not winning, pull those troops out, get out of there. But the way he wants to go about it is to sign a peace treaty with the Taliban, the terrorists. And that is not the right way to do this. What we should do is finish the job that we went there to do, which is to destroy those evil people. That is what we need to do. We need to just go ahead and send in all the missiles and all the tanks and all the artillery. artillery. If it takes troops, then send troops. If it, if it takes whatever it takes, whatever ship, whatever plane, whatever equipment, and get the job done and wipe those people out and do it very quickly and powerfully, that is what we should do. Rather than signing a peace treaty with these 666, Muslim, evil dogs that live there in Afghanistan. We need to just wipe them out. And if we do not wipe them out, it will come back to bite us. Those dogs dogs will come back to bite us. I guarantee you. Amen. You say, Pastor Tim, you're calling people dogs. You should be more loving, caring, compassionate, gentle. Jesus himself called people dogs and snakes and pigs and hypocrites. Jesus insulted people over and over and over and over. And over. Most people don't know that because they have barely read the Bible. But that is the truth, the God to honest truth. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love everybody. He does love everyone, even the sinners. Because the Bible says that he saved us while we were still yet sinners. And that he loved the world which is full of sinners. He loved the world so much to send his only begotten son. Amen. 
he does love everyone of every race, of every nation, of every language. No matter what we have done, he does love us. We are his children that he created, physical children, everyone is. So the fact that he insulted people over and over and over does not mean that he doesn't love us, and it doesn't mean that I am not loving, caring, or compassionate either. It's just that he knows the reality, and I know the reality, that there are some people that are animals. There are some people that are wild, dangerous, extremely dangerous and deserve to be called pigs, dogs, snakes, and hypocrites. There are some people that do deserve to be called those things because that is the reality of the extremity of their wickedness. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for them. We do pray for them, and we, we would love to see those people get saved. If we could send a thousand preachers over there and save those people through the word of God, then so be it. But I guarantee you, if you send a thousand preachers, not, not one of them will survive. Every one of them will be killed by those dogs. Amen? So we have to deal with the reality. And a peace treaty is not reality. All it is is a piece of paper and lies. Amen. And Pakistan, Pakistan, who is our enemy, is all in support of this new peace treaty that Pakistan wants, and that, uh, that Trump wants to sign with the Taliban. Well, Pakistan is all for it because Pakistan is our enemy. And they are the leaders and the headquarters of the Taliban. So, of course, they would love to see a peace treaty because all they got to do in a peace treaty is to spit in their hand and shake our hand. And, yeah, spit in their hand then shake our hand. And sign a few pieces of paper saying, America, you can leave. And we want you to leave. That's all they got to say. And they would love to see the American military leave so that they can continue all the evil that they do without any hindrance from America. Amen. So, of course, Pakistan is in support of this. But the American people should not be in support of this, and neither should Trump. Amen. We should be more aggressive, both in World War II, earlier than what we was. We should not have waited to get attacked first. And in Afghanistan and in Syria and across the world, America should be more aggressive because, and Israel should be more aggressive than what they are, because God is on our side. Amen. God is on our side. Remember in the Bible how Moses sent Joshua and Caleb and other men to spy out the land of Canaan 
before entering. That was at the beginning of the 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea. The men were sent as spies into the, into the promised land, into the land of Canaan to, to spy out the land and the people and everything. And they spent 40 days there. And then they came back. And most of the men said, we're afraid. Those people are bigger than we are. They got more equipment than we do. Hey, the land is good. It is the land of milk and honey. It is the promised land. It is beautiful, beautiful. It is fertile. But we're scared. Amen. That was their response after spying out the land. Even though God was on their side, and even though God told them, you're going to take this land. I'm going to give the land to you, and I want you to take it from those people, and I'm on your side. You're going to win this war, basically what God said. And, but the people were like, I'm scared. They got bigger more muscular men, bigger horses, and, and uh, more swords, and better shields, and all this junk, looking carnally at the flesh, rather than looking at God's power, amen, they were shaking in their boots, not looking at the power of God, but looking at the power of the flesh of their enemies, and it was for that reason that God sentenced Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day. They had spied the land for 40 days, and therefore a, a year for each day, 40 years, they had to wander around in the wilderness. That was their punishment for being scared. Amen. That was their punishment for not being on the offensive and not going into the promised land immediately. They could have went. Most people don't know this because they have not read enough of the Bible. They could have went into the promised land in as early as something like only two months after they crossed the Red Sea. They didn't have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They could have entered the promised land in only two or three months. But the reason they did not go in the promised land that quick is because they were too scared and did not trust God to win the war for them. They didn't want to go on the offensive. Amen. Now let's go to the Bible. 1 Samuel 15. We do have a new listener, so I'll let you know that we're reading from a translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible, but you're welcome to try to follow along in any translation you've got in front of you there. And we're in the book of 1 Samuel 15, and we're going to start in verse number 1, and God willing, we'll go down to verse 26. One Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, who was the first human king of Israel, Samuel said to Saul, Jesus sent me to anoint you king over Israel. 
And now, hear the voice of Jesus. Most translations say, hear the voice of the Lord. Thus saith Jesus of hosts. Hosts means, can mean armies or multitudes. Jesus of multitudes or Jesus of armies. Now will I take vintage or revenge for what Amalek did to Israel when he met him in the way as he came out of Egypt. And now go and you shall smite Amalek and Haram and all that belongs to him. Everybody and everything that belongs to these people you need to destroy. And you shall not save anything, anything of him alive, but you shall utterly destroy him. And you shall devote him and all of his uh, infants, all of his to destruction. I've got to try to stay on the same line there. And you shall spare nothing belonging to him, and you shall slay both man and woman and infant and nursing and calf and sheep and camel and donkey. So God instructed King Saul of Israel, the first human king of Israel, to go and attack this tribe, the nation of Amalek, to attack them first, to go on the offensive, go to war, and to destroy these people and not only to destroy the men in their army, but to destroy even the women and the babies, even the little babies, to destroy even all of their animals, every animal, every baby, every woman, every child, regardless of how, how, how old or how young, to destroy, to kill even the old people and the young people, everybody, whether they was part of the army or not, destroy everyone. This is what God commanded King Saul to do. Verse 4. And Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Gilgal, 400,000 regular troops, 400,000 troops, that's a huge army, and Judah, 30,000 regular troops on top of that. Saul came to the cities of Amalek and, and laid wait in the valley. Verse 6, and Saul said to the Kenite that was there, a person that was there, go and depart out of the midst of the Amaleks, lest I put you with them. For you dealt mercifully with the children of Israel when they went up out of Egypt. So the Kenite departed from the midst of Amalek. Now, God did not tell him to do that. God did not tell him, go to those cities and start choosing who you want to not destroy. God did not tell him to do that. He did that of his own will, his own accord. So right there, immediately, he's starting to be a pathicist. He's starting to try to make peace with certain people or have favor on certain people. And all in disobedience to God. God said, destroy everybody. Verse 7, And Saul smote Amalek from this town called Avalak to Shur, fronting Egypt. And he took 
Agog, the king of the Amalek, alive, and he killed all the people and Hiram with the edge of the sword. But he kept the king, king called uh, Agar, however, that's spelled, Ag- I mean, however it's pronounced, Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. Now, God did not save, God did not save, spare the king. Huh? No. And Saul is just, Saul is just doing whatever he wants to do. Verse 9, and Saul and all the people saved Agag alive. So that kind of puts the responsibility not only on Saul, but the army as well. Other peoples, Saul and the people, all the people, saved Agag alive and the best of the flocks, the best of the flocks they kept alive. God said, go and destroy every animal and every person. And here the army and Saul are choosing to keep the king and let some people escape and and keep the best of the animals and of the herds and of the fruits of the vineyards and all the good things. And they would not destroy them, but every worthless and a refuge thing that they destroyed. Verse 10, and the word of Jesus came to Samuel. Now Samuel was the holy man of God. He was the minister. He was the pastor. He was the prophet. The word of Jesus came to Samuel, who was the prophet, saying, I have repented that I made Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not kept my word. Samuel was grieved and cried to Jesus all night. And Samuel rose early and went to meet Israel in the morning, and it was told Saul, saying, Samuel has come to Carmel, and he has raised up help for himself. And he turned his chariot and came down to Gilgal to Saul. And behold, he was offering up a whole burnt offering to Jesus, the chief of the spoils which he brought out of Amalek. And Samuel called, I mean, came, Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of Jesus. I have performed all that Jesus said. That was a lie. Saul lied to the man of God. He obviously didn't have fear of the Lord. Lying to the prophet. I've done everything that God instructed me to do. I have performed all that Jesus said. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeping of this flock in my ears? I hear the sheep, basically. What is the sound of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, I have brought them out of Amalek that which the people preserved, even the best of the sheep and of the cattle, that it might be sacrificed to Jesus, your Theos, and the rest have I utterly destroyed. So Saul's excuse is, I wanted to keep some of the animals alive, the best of the animals, for God to sacrifice to him. This is for God's sake that I've done this. I've done something good. I've done something right. Verse 16, and Samuel said to Saul, stay, and I will tell you what Jesus has said to me this night. And he said to him, say on. And Samuel said to Saul, 
Are you not little in his eyes, though a leader of one of the tribes of Israel? And yet Jesus anointed you to be king over Israel. In other words, God chose you. Amen. God lifted you up. He chose you. You was little. You was nothing. But God chose you. God is in control. God is your boss. God is your king. God is your master. Verse 18. Jesus sent you. Jesus sent you on a journey and said to you, go and utterly destroy you shall slay the sinners against me, even the Amaleks, and you shall war against them until you have consumed them. And why did you why did you not listen and obey to the voice of Jesus, but did haste to fasten upon the spoils, and did that which was evil in the sight of Jesus? Saul said to Samuel. Because I have listened to the voice of the people. I'm a democracy. And I'm listening to the people. This is what they want. I have obeyed my family. I have obeyed the people. I have obeyed. Uh, we took a vote. This is the majority. This is I have obeyed them. Yet I went the way by which Jesus sent me. And I brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I destroyed Amalek. But the people took, the people did, not me. The people took of the spoils, the best flocks and the herds out of which was destroyed to sacrifice before Jesus. We did good for Jesus or Theos in Galgal. Samuel said, does Jesus take pleasure in whole burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the same way in the hearing? Does he take pleasure and these burnt animals in the same way as he would in the hearing of the words of Jesus. Behold, obedience is better than a good sacrifice, and listening and obeying is better than the fat of, of rams. For Jesus, yes, for sin, verse 23, for sin is as deviation. Idols bring on pain and grief. Because you have rejected the word of Jesus, Jesus also shall reject you from being king over Israel. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, in that I have transgressed the word of Jesus and your direction. For I feared the people, and I listened and obeyed to their voice. And now remove, I pray you, my sin, and turn back with me, and I will worship Jesus your theos. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not turn back with you, for you have rejected the word of Jesus, and Jesus will reject you from being king over Israel. Amen. Now, Saul said, finally, finally, he said, you know, I repent, I confess, I've been wrong, forgive me. But Samuel said, no, no, I'm not going to give you. Now, a lot of people in our modern times and the modern traditional religious churches of this world, most people would say, well, this has changed in our modern times with Jesus himself 
when he walked on earth and when he died for our sins and rose from the dead, that everything changed. And that now, if Samuel was alive in our day and time as a prophet or a pastor today, Samuel would need to forgive Saul. Because now it doesn't matter what anybody does. It doesn't matter what anyone does. You must forgive them. Seventy times seven. You must forgive them. That is what most religious people think. Because they have not read much of the Bible. And if, even if they have read the entire Bible, they read it with the brainwashing programming of religion of how to read into it what the denomination already believes, rather than allowing the holy word of God to change them and transform them and teach us, they read into the Bible what they have taught, been taught to read into the Bible. Amen. God has not changed. Amen. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. He is the Alpha and Omega. Notice how in this translation of the Alpha and Omega Bible, it doesn't say just the Lord said, but it's Jesus said. Because Jesus has existed from all eternity, and he is the word that was spoken to Moses. He is the word that spoke to Samuel. He is the word that spoke to Saul. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. He, is, he does not change. God does not change. Amen. Now, of course, animal sacrifices have been done away with because Jesus was sacrificed. Circumcision was done away with because now our hearts are circumcised spiritually. So there are some things that was done away with. But God's character has not changed. Amen. God's personality, his character, and the way he looks at things has not changed. Amen. And the way that God looked at this in the spirit and the soul and the flesh of Samuel is, no, I'm not going to forgive you, Saul. I have made my decision. You are fired. You are fired. You're not going to remain king. You have disobeyed me. Amen. Now, this king of Amalek called Agog, I'd like for you to remember, because I will bring that back up here in a minute. But first, before I explain more about Agog, and the consequences of this, the consequences was much more than Saul getting fired and replaced by King David. There was even greater consequences than that. But before I share that with you, I must share with you that this was not the first time that God told the people to destroy the Amalekites. It was not the first time. They should have already been destroyed, even before this. They should have already been destroyed. Notice in the book of Deuteronomy, let's go over there 
in the book of law, the fifth book of the Bible, the book of law. And if you have a copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible, uh, the law is volume number one. The, the, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25 now. And the Alpha Omega Bible is in five volumes rather than, rather than just one book. We have five volumes of the Bible. And this was the same way that the very first printed Bible that was a complete Bible was printed, was in five volumes. And I did not even know that. And I published the five-volume edition of the Alpha and Omega Bible. I did, not, I did not even know that the first printed complete Bible was in five volumes, but, but yet this is the way that God had led me to publish the Alpha and Omega Bible, amen, which confirms his spirit and his working and his will in this translation, uh, translating the Bible back to its original state. Amen. Now, in Deuteronomy 25, let's go down to verse 11. Verse 11, Deuteronomy 25, verse 11 through 19. Chapter 25, verse 11. And if men should strive together, fight, if two men are fighting, and a man with his brother, meaning any man, if two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them should advance to rescue her husband out of the hand of him that smites him, and she uh, would stretch forth her hand and take hold of his genitals, his privates, and if this happens, you should cut off her hand. Your eyes should not spare her, because a woman should not touch the privates of a man who is not her husband. And because if two men are fighting, the woman needs to stay out of it and not embarrass her husband by being the one that come rescues him. So there's different things going on there about why that uh, her hand would be cut off. And this is what God commanded to be done in that day and in that time, that that would be her punishment if she was to do that. Then verse 13, you shall not have in your bag diverse weights, a great and a small. And you shall not have in your house diverse measures, a great and a small. You shall have a true and a just weight a true and a just measure. So what this is talking about is that you should not cheat people. So like if you go to the grocery store and they have a scale in the fruit and produce section and you weigh your tomatoes or if you weigh your bananas or whatever, it's saying that the weight should be accurate. That is what it is saying. Do not cheat people by having false weights that you may live long upon the land which Jesus your Theos gives you for inheritance. Verse 16, 
So everyone that does this has false weights. So everyone that has false weights, this is abomination to Jesus, your theos, even everyone that does injustice. Remember what things Amalek did to you, by the way, when you went forth out of the land of Egypt. Now he withstood you in the way and harassed your rear of your rear of your armies, the back of the armies, the people in the back of the the last people crossing the Red Sea, even those that were weary behind you. And you did hunger and was weary, and he did not fear Theos. And it came it shall come to pass whenever Jesus your Theos shall have given you rest from all your enemies round about in the land which Jesus your Theos gives you to inherit that you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven and shall not forget to do it. This is pretty astonishing because Jesus says, once there is not war and God has given you rest and you have settled down and you have come into the land of promise and you're at rest and nobody's fighting you, if you see an Amalek, kill him. This is what God is instructing here for those people in that day and in that time. He's not saying, wait for them to attack you first. And he's not saying, destroy them if they do wrong. But he is saying, these people have already done wrong, and you should never forget this. And it doesn't matter if you are at peace and comfortable and laying down in the land of promise. When you see the Amalek, you are to go on the offensive. You are to strike first. You are to punch first and destroy these people. Now, the reason that I said to remember the king of the Amaleks that was saved alive by Saul was called King Agag. Remember in the book of Esther that talks about Perm, that there was the evil man called Haman, however that's pronounced. And, and that was in the Persian kingdom, Iran, thousands of years ago. And remember Queen Esther and Mordecai, they fasted and prayed, and God delivered them from the evil plan that Hammon had. Well, Hammon was a descendant of the king of the Amalekites. Hammon was an Amalek. And if Saul and the other people, if the people in the book of Deuteronomy and the people in the book of 1 Samuel, if all of these people had obeyed God and destroyed every living, every living Amalek on the planet, destroyed and wiped out that tribe, those people, that nation, if they had obeyed God, they would have never been a Hammon to plan to destroy all the Jews. His plot in the book of Esther, Hammon, his plot, his plan was to destroy every living Jew. And if Esther and Mordecai and the Israelites had not fasted, it would have occurred. 
No, not really. Because God would have made a plan to save the Israelites another way because God had planned and promised to Israel to always preserve, always preserve a remnant of his people. But nevertheless, thousands could have been slaughtered. Thousands or millions could have been slaughtered. He would have preserved a remnant. But millions or thousands could have been slaughtered by this Iranian king or prince, rather. But if Saul had obeyed and Israel had obeyed way before that, then you you would not have even had the possibility of that happening. Amen. They should have obeyed, and then they would have never faced that situation of possible slaughter. Who are the Amalekites today? That is a good question. And the fact is that we really don't know for sure who they are. It is a mystery. But they definitely do exist. One theory is it could be Germany. And another theory is it could be uh, the Iranian leaders of today. Not necessarily the majority of the population of Iran, not necessarily all of the Iranian people, but rather the evil regime that is in control of Iran right now, who is probably not truly Persian people. The, the president and what they call him, the supreme leader of Iran, these leaders of Iran right now are probably not true Persians but rather of the tribe of Amalek, which is not really Persian. These are theories. Now, now let's go to the New Testament and address some objections that most people would have dealing with self-defense, papaism, war, destruction, killing, all these different things that we're talking about and related to this topic, most people would say that Jesus said to love your enemies and not curse them and turn the other cheek and things like that. So let's look at those. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's start, let's read verse 44, Matthew 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, verse 44 says, this is Jesus talking, and it says, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Now, in the Alpha and Omega Bible, there's a footnote here, and I'm going to read this footnote that I wrote. And it says, love your enemies does not mean that we should hang out with sinners who have no interest in obeying Jesus. The sinners that Jesus associated with were people who were willing to listen to his teachings. He witnessed to them, and they listened. It is not love to refrain from sharing the gospel in order to maintain friendships. I will read that again. It is not love to refrain from sharing the gospel in order to maintain friendships. The scriptures are clear that we are to disfellowship from people who are willingly living a life of sin, especially if they pose a threat to our own life of holy living. Love your enemies does not mean that we should condone sin, sinful lifestyles, wickedness, or false religions. Love your enemies does not mean that we should refrain from speaking out against sin, wickedness, deception, and false religions. Love your enemies does not mean that we should never offend. Love your enemies and to bless your enemies means that we should pray that the sinners will repent. And if they are in true need of food or other necessities like clothing, then we are, and if we are able to help them, and they are willing to receive our help, then we are not to refuse them the help with such necessities. Again, this doesn't mean that we should refrain from sharing the truth with them regardless of possible offense. So a lot of people use this verse, they twist and distort and take this verse out of context and try to say, well, God said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and therefore you should never speak anything against Islam, against Hinduism, against Buddhism, against atheism, against homosexuals, against abortion, against anything or anybody, because you've got to love, 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 and never hate and never offend and never upset anyone. Well, that theology, of course, is uh, human reasoning and misunderstanding of what Jesus said because they look at one verse and they don't read any other verse of the Bible other than just a couple other verses, and they don't read the entire Bible. Amen? And that's why they misunderstand. And they don't have the spirit of God. Amen. So they do not understand. As I said here in the footnote, loving your enemies does not mean that you can't speak the truth of God's word. Amen. Now, Jesus is instructing us to love our enemies, right? And Jesus loves everybody. He loves sinners because he died for us while we were still yet sinners. And he loved us enough to die for us, to save us from those same sins. Yet he himself, who said this and did this, did speak out against sin and did condemn sin. He called people snakes, hypocrites, swine, pigs. He said all these things, and Paul said all the same things as well. So you can have both. 
You can have both. You can pray for your enemies and you can love your enemies and still speak the truth. They are not contradictory. Amen. They are not contradictory. If you really love your enemies, you can tell them that for them to get saved, they've got to repent. Amen. Now, we're talking spiritually, of course. What about physically? What about physically? And before I really, 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 really explain it, let's just read one more verse uh, over here or one more passage. Let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke 6, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 27. Luke chapter 6. Starting in verse 27. And God willing, we'll read from 27 down to 36. So we're in Luke 6 verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. That's what we call the golden rule treat others the way you would have them to treat you. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you for even sinners do the same? If you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead to sinners in order to receive back the same. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Amen. Now, again, most people would say a very flat statement in summary of this, most people, most people, most people who call themselves Christians, most people who say they are saved, most people who say that they are going to heaven, would take all of this and the verse we read from Matthew and other verses and make a summary statement without considering anything else in the Bible but just these few verses and say we should never practice self-defense. If somebody comes in our house in the middle of the night uh, slaughtering our children, raping our, our wife, uh, and, and everything else. We should just watch them and let them do it because we're never to touch our enemy. We're not to kill our enemy. We are not to fight our enemy. We cannot even punch the man in the face. We cannot even try to make the man trip, but just let them rape and kill our family. That is the, that, that is the, the stupidity and the insanity that is being taught in some of the churches and being spoken by millions of so-called Christians. And you know what God thinks of this? He thinks these people are wimps. Wimps. 
and ignorant of the Holy Scripture. You take the verses that you want to take, believe what you want to believe and what people have taught you, and kiss, 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 love, 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 but never willing ever to take a stand against the wickedness and defend righteousness and defend the Holy Scriptures and defend your wife and defend your children and defend what is right and just let them run over you. God never said any of this for the purpose of allowing your family to be slaughtered, your nation to be slaughtered, and wickedness destroyed. I mean, righteousness destroyed. No, this was not God's purpose. Amen. In everything that the Bible says, you need to ask, what is the spirit of the law? You look at the letter, Jesus said this, I see the words. It's in black and white. I see what Jesus said. It's black and white. But you have to look at why he said this. What is the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law? If you go only by the letter, then your whole family and your whole nation would die. What about all the wars that have been fought to preserve the word of God? If people did not fight back against the Roman Catholic Church, we would not have a Bible today if people had not fought back against the Roman Catholic Church in blood, in battle, with knives, with swords. If they had not fought back against the Roman Catholic Church, we would not have a Bible today. And if we had not fought back against Hitler, there would not be a Jew alive today or Israelite alive today, except for maybe a handful because of the promise of God to save a remnant. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, we'll turn there later, says that there is a time to kill and there is a time for war. says so. The Bible says that. So instead of taking the letter of the law in a few passages and ignoring the rest of the Bible, you have to take the whole Bible, the whole word, the Alpha and the Omega, Genesis and Revelation, the Torah and the Old and the New. Take the whole sum of his word and not just the, uh, the heath cliffs. What do they call them? Cliff notes. <laughs> heath cliffs. Don't take just the cliff notes. Read the whole thing. Study it. Amen. The spirit of what Jesus was saying here is try to be kind. Try to be at peace. There's another version of the Bible that sums it up very, very, very well. I believe Paul wrote it. It said, try to be at peace with all men as much as it is possible within you. Amen. As much as it's possible within you. Amen. The spirit and principles that Jesus was teaching in the book of Matthew and, and Luke in these verses that we read is that you should try to get along and be at peace with your neighbors and, and people in general. And as far as turning the other cheek, if somebody smites you in one cheek, turn the other, you've got to understand that this was written in Israel. <laughs> it was written in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And you have to understand Middle Eastern culture. 
and Middle Eastern culture, even to this very day, if somebody smacks you on the face, it is not the same as a punch. Not the same. If somebody comes up and punches you in the face, that is different. But if they just slap you in the face, it is simply an insult. Simply an insult and completely, completely, entirely different than a punch in the face. Amen. The people will read this and consider a slap in the face the same as a punch or the same as a gunshot or a war. And they're, they're all completely different from what he was talking about. A slap in the face in the Middle East is nothing more than calling somebody a fool or calling somebody ignorant or some other little tiny insult. Amen. He's basically saying if somebody just insults you, then turn a blind eye. That's what he's saying. If somebody insults you, you don't have to get physical just because they verbally insult you. But a smack in the face in the Middle East is the same as to us would be only a verbal insult. So when you read the Bible, you've got to think of a Middle Eastern mindset, and you also have to look at who is who he is talking to, who the audience is, who is who is he directly talking to, and the the culture and the time and the the, the whole atmosphere of the situation and the spiritual principle about why he was saying these things. Now, the same book of Matthew, well, let's go back to Matthew, because we're going to read some words you would never, ever, ever, ever heard read in a church. Even though it's Bible, you would never, ever, 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 ever hear these scriptures read in a church because pastors, most pastors, God bless their little hearts, most pastors pick and choose what verses they want to read and will never read these verses. Matthew 10, verse 13. Matthew 10, verse 13, I'll go from verse 13 through 15, these three verses. Matthew 10, verse 13. If the house is worthy, if, if, I'd like for you to circle that word if, because there are some things that are conditional. Amen. If the house is worthy, Give it your blessing of peace. But if, if it is not worthy, take back your peace. Now, this is the same Jesus that said that we should love our enemies, not curse them. We should pray for them and turn the other cheek. But the same Jesus is saying, if the house is not worthy, don't be at peace with them. Take back your blessing of peace. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, talking about when you share the gospel, when you share the truth of Jesus Christ, when you warn them that they need to repent of their sins, when you share the truth with them, if they do not heed your words, what does it say here? 
as you go out of that house, out of that city, shake the dust off your feet. Now, again, we got to understand Middle Eastern culture and customs. And there in the Middle East, if you shake the dust off your feet and you leave a house, that is a curse. You are literally putting a curse upon those people. You are saying those people are worthless, they are not worthy, and they are now your enemy. Now, you will still love them and pray for them as a true Christian. You're going to get down on your knees. You're going to pray. You're going to cry. You're going to say, God, save these people from their wickedness. Save them because they have rejected your word. They have tread your word underfoot. And now I tread them underfoot. I want them to repent. But I cannot return back to their house because they have rejected you, God. And if they reject you, they reject me. They have tread your word, your holy word, your truth underfoot. They have rejected your holiness, your light, your truth, your revelation. They have rejected salvation. They are worthless. They are dogs. They are swine. This is the attitude. This is the reaction that a true saint will have. Yes, you will love them. Yes, you will bless them. Yes, you will pray for them. But you will not allow them to waste your time either. And you don't have to keep going back to that same person over and over and over and over, begging them to accept the word of God because they are either going to accept it or they are not going to accept it. Amen. And if they are not going to accept it, rather than continuing to stay, continuing to uh, try to teach and lead that person for a century, go on to somebody that is more worthy, more willing to hear the word of God and spend your time wisely for the time is short. Amen. The devil will sin. Boy, I know this for a fact. The devil will send people to you just to waste your time. Amen? The devil will send people to you just to waste your time and your energy and to drain your energy that you do not need to be spending time with, but that you need to shut the door to and disfellowship from. They have had their chance. They have had their opportunity. Amen. Verse 14 says, Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Amen. I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Solomon and Galora in the day of judgment than for that city. Than for that city. And that verse right there is mind-blowing because it goes completely opposite of what is taught in every traditional Sunday morning church in many different ways, many different ways. I won't go into all the different ways right now. We'll go down to verse 34. Verse 34 do not think, this is Jesus, he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. What? 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 What did he just say? What did Jesus 
Just say, I have not come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. Jesus came to bring a sword? I thought he came to bring peace. Think not that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. Amen. But yet, most, the majority of people, both Christian and non-Christian, think, think that we should just all get along, lovey, lovey, kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy, never offend, never offend homosexuals, Muslims, Buddhas, Hindus, and Jehovah, Jehovah Witness, and that, and that, and that isn't, and that isn't. Never, never offend anyone. Just get along. Never go to war. You should be a conscientious objector. You should be a pathicist. You should just let things be. Don't even have self-defense. Don't even fight back. Just, just let the enemy take control. Just let the enemy take control of the whole world, of your neighborhood, of your house, of your family, of your nation, of your church, of everything. Never fight back because Jesus said, Love your enemy. God did not intend for you to for you to take that the wrong way. God did not intend for you to let the enemy destroy your your nation and your family and the church and everything. Amen. So many people, so many people, so many people say. We should all just get along. We should be at peace with every nation and every person and all your neighbors and all your family. Just be at peace. That's what Jesus came. That's what Jesus wants. That's what God would want because God is God of love and he just wants everybody to be at peace. They have never read this verse, have they? They have never read this verse. They have never read this verse. And this verse would never be read in any, any Sunday church, guarantee you. Verse 35, oh, your seatbelt, fasten your seatbelt. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his dad. What? And a daughter against her mom and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the person's enemies will be the members of their own household. Jesus said, I have come to make you fight with your dad, your mom, your children, your family, so that you will not get along with your own family, but your own family will be your enemy. I have come to do this. I have come. That's what it says. Verse 35, I came to do this. I came to set a man against his own dad. Jesus came to wage war. He did not come in peace. He came to bring a sword. He came that we would not be at peace even with our own parents. And yet, people will constantly, constantly, constantly tell you and me that we should allow our parents and our brothers and our sisters and our families to run over us, to mistreat us, to treat us like a dog, 
And yet we should never say a word back to them. Just smile. Just love. Just kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. Never disfellowship. They've never read this verse, have they? They say, but the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments says, honor your father and your mother. Again, they don't look at the spiritual principle, and they take one verse over a different verse, and they only want to look and read and believe only the verse that they want to believe in, while at the same time not believing in a different verse in the same Bible. Amen. How many times have I seen this? Amen. Father, forgive me, for I must expose my own parents in order for the benefit of your children. My own parents I had to shun and forsake because they are sinners and they are wicked. And my brother, many people in my family I have disfellowship from. I will not even talk to my own brother, my own mom, or my own dad. I will not. I refuse to because they are of the devil. And they have had their opportunity to be at peace with me and peace with God. They've had their chance. They've had their opportunity. And yet, the rest of the family and other people that don't know what they're talking about and that should keep, stay out of my business, amen, are like, you're supposed to be a preacher. You're supposed to love people and forgive people. You have to forgive your dad and your mom. You have to look over them. They're your mom or your dad. Come on now. That is the reaction of most people, even most so-called Christians. But yet, God himself spoke from heaven and said to me over the radio, out loud, on the radio, said, you do not have to let your dad treat you like a dog. You can walk away. That is what God said to me out loud. And you expect me to reject the voice of God and refuse the voice of God and, and just continue to let my parents and my brother and people run over me and destroy me and lead me to a miserable life of existence because that's what they would do to me if I continue to stay with those people, if I continue to hang out with the wrong crowd, regardless if they're my family or not my family, if I hang out with the wrong people, they will lead me to damnation or mental hospital, one or the other or both. Amen? Now, when I heard the voice of God out loud on the radio, it was not literally God in one sense because it was whoever it was at the radio station talking. 
but yet it was God talking through that person, putting, putting the exact words that I needed to hear at that exact moment. And if we are people of faith, if we know the voice of God like the Bible says that we should, if I am his sheep and he is my daddy, he is my Abba Father, if he is my shepherd, then I will recognize his voice. The Bible says this, and I recognize his voice. And you can laugh at me, and you can mock at me, and you can call me crazy all you want, but you're the crazy one for not believing in your own daddy in heaven. Amen. Even Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? But he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. He is my mother. He is my brother. Not the one in the flesh and the blood. For I am not in the flesh and the blood, but I am in the spirit. If I have the spirit of God. Amen. Shed the flesh and live in the spirit, people. If you are Christians then you should have the Spirit of God, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, see in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit, smell in the Spirit, everything in the Spirit, and be in the Spirit rather than in the flesh. Then you may understand the mysteries of God. Amen. Praise Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Luke, that you must be willing to forsake father, mother, wife, children, brother, houses, land. You must be willing to forsake anyone, anything for God. Mommy and daddy does not come first. Money does not come first. Houses, jobs, people, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, brother, sister, they do not come first. God came first. He created you, and he can destroy you. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Put him first. Seek his kingdom first, and all these other things should be added to you. Amen. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, he who loves dad or mom more than me, more than Jesus, is not worthy. Is not worthy of me. So if you want to put honor father and mother as the first commandment and worship your mommy and daddy more than Jesus, Lisa in New York State, if you want to do that, you are not worthy of Jesus. nor of his kingdom. Stop putting honor father and mother as the first commandment. It is not the first commandment. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The Bible says, pray that you be found worthy. Everybody's like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Well, you've got to get worthy, or else you will not enter the kingdom. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What does that mean? 
It means that salvation and really and truly living for God and really and truly knowing God is not easy, but extremely difficult. It is as difficult as a dying, bleeding man carrying a giant, heavy cross on his back. It is that difficult and no easier at all. Living for God will mean that you must be willing to even lay down your own life if so called upon to do so. And that means also being willing to lay down your family, your house, your job, your car, your money, your fame, and all of your friends. The Bible says, woe unto you if the world speaks good of you. Billy Graham, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, so-called Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and a bunch of other wolves in sheep's clothing. Woe unto you if the world speaks good of you. The world will love you if you're on the devil's side, but the world will hate you if you are on God's side. If you have the cross, if you take up the cross and follow Jesus, your family will hate you. You will not have any friends. They will fall away from you. If you don't disfellowship from them, they will disfellowship from you. This is the reality. If you think you are a Christian, if you think you are saved, if you think you're going to heaven or the kingdom of God, and you still have a bunch of friends and a bunch of family, then you are not saved at all. If you are truly saved, you would take up the cross, deny yourself, deny other people, stand for the word of God, fight against wickedness, stand your ground for righteousness, which will cause all of your friends and your family to hate you if you are standing on true doctrine. Amen. But the reason you have so much family and friends is either because you're standing with false doctrine or you're not speaking the word of God, which both is the same. You're not speaking the word of God. Amen. Verse 39, he who has found his life in God will lose his life here. But he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You must be willing to be crucified in Jesus Christ, which means you have to give up your horror movies, you have to give up your porn, you have to give up your pagan holidays like Christmas, which originally was a Muslim holiday that came from Assyria. And I know you don't believe me, and I don't want you to believe me, but what I would love for you to do and what God would love for you to do is actually do some research and prove everything like the Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, prove all things. Don't just assume that mommy and daddy was right when they told you the fairy tales. Don't just assume that your pastor and your church and your religion and your denomination and your society and your culture told you the truth. Don't assume those things. The Bible says, prove all things. Prove it. Don't believe me. Either prove me right or prove me wrong, but prove something. Amen. 
and the proof of, of reality. All you gotta do, all you gotta do is go dictionary or encyclopedia. It is not hidden. It is reality. It is a documented fact that Christmas existed thousands of years before Jesus was born. It was celebrated on December the 24th and 25th, and all the 12 days of Christmas was celebrated every year. The year before he was born, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that, and thousands of years before he was born, because it was the winter, winter solstice, however you pronounce it. It was the winter solstice. It was worship of the sun. It was worship of the evergreen Christmas tree, Jeremiah 10. They would go out into the woods, cut down a tree, bring it inside, fasten it so it won't fall over, and decorate it. Jeremiah 10. It says this custom is a custom of the heathen, the custom, and it's done in vain. Amen. You say, but I'm worshiping Jesus. But Saul said the same thing. I did not kill the Amalek. Because I want to be at peace, because this man is a good man, and because this animal is a good animal. So we preserved this, we did it for the glory of God. And now I'm, I'm given the Christmas tree and Santa, uh, Satan clothes and all this because it's for God. They did the same thing at the golden calf. It's for God. Well, God is going to fill up on your worship and reject your sacrifice, and reject your worship, because it is an abomination unto the Lord to bring a tree into your house and get down on your knees and offer gifts to it. It is an abomination unto the Lord Almighty. He is a holy God. He said in the book of Deuteronomy, do not do as the heathen do. Do not look at how they worship their gods and do the same. Do not do that. But he is holy. He is a holy God. He does not want your filthy, stinky Christmas tree. Read the Bible. Amen. Please read the Bible. Please, please, please read the Bible. And then it wouldn't be a shock to you that the Bible describes the Christmas tree as a work of the heathen. These things would not come to a shock to you if you read the Bible. And you wouldn't have to go on my word or even listen to me if you would read the Bible. Amen. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, however you want to pronounce it. Come on now. Yeah. However you want to pronounce it, it's fine with me. Oh. This is an Alpha Mega Bible, volume number three. Ecclesiastes three. And if you don't yet have a copy of the Alpha Mega Bible, you can learn about it. And I saw the light ministries. I saw the light ministries. You can look it up. It's easy to find. Ecclesiastes chapter 
praise his holy name. Praise Jesus. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, now for Baker Bible, this is page 100, volume 3. Ecclesiastes 3, I believe in most Bibles, that's what come after Proverbs. Yep. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. To all things there is a time and a season for every matter under heaven. Time of birth and a time to die, a time to plant. Now, time to pluck up what has been planted. Time to kill. Now, time to heal. A time to pull down and time to build up. Time to cry and a time to laugh. Time to lament and a time to dance. Time to throw stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to abstain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rent or tear or destroy, and a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, and a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Amen. You believe this? It's true. It's reality. You cannot be at peace at all times with all men. Amen. And there is not going to be peace on this earth, really, until the fullness of God's kingdom comes. Amen. You have to wake up to reality. You can live in a fairyland, ideal world and imagination of your mind, but we have to wake up to reality. And the reality is we are not going to have peace on this earth, and it is not going to get better this year or next year or the next year. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. We are living in the end times. And in case you may be listening for the first time, there is going to be an abomination of desolation, which is not really truly on the Temple Mount like you have been told, but rather in heaven, in the temple of God in heaven. For the temple of God does not stand on earth, but in heaven. Read the Bible. Abomination, a war in heaven, Revelation 12, 2 Thessalonians 2. Think not that Jesus is going to come first. Most churches will say, don't worry about the Antichrist. Don't worry about the mark of the beast. Because we're going to be gone. We'll be out of here. We'll be raptured out before any of that happens. They say, don't worry about who the Antichrist is or the mark of the beast. Because we'll be gone. We won't see any trouble. You know, that, that sounds so nice. That's not reality. Amen. The reality is that the Bible talks about five different groups of Christians that will go through the Great Tribulation. Five different groups, but yet, how many times in my life have I 
heard pastors say the Bible never talks about the church during the tribulation because they're gone. When a pastor says that, you got to just smack yourself in the head because you know he's not read the Bible. Amen. The Bible is full and overflowing with examples of Christians in the great tribulation. Come on now. Read it. The Antichrist, what they call the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, he is the president of Syria. Bashar Assad, evil be his name. You said, no way. No way, Pastor Tim. The president of Syria, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. I disagree. Actually, that's not my opinion. His name is in the Bible. The Bible says that the king of Assyria, he is the one that will invade Israel. He is the one that will come against his people. He is the one that will conquer the saints and power will be given to him to conquer the saints. How can you conquer the saints if the saints are gone? Impossible. Amen. Read the Bible. Please read the Bible. King of Assyria is Assad. And Assad is not his real last name. His last name in Arabic is pronounced something like Wabash. And if you was to read the book of Revelation in Arabic, a Middle Eastern language, when it says beast, the mark of the beast, word beast in Arabic is his real, true last name, Wabash. It has his name. And his new last name, Asad, in Arabic means the lion. And the Bible says he has given the mouth of a lion. But if you read that in Arabic, in the Arabic Bible, it says he's given the mouth of Asad. So it has, in Arabic, has both his real last name, Wabash, which means wild beast, and his parent last name, Asad, which means lion. It has both his real and his fake name in the book of Revelation in the same chapter over and over in that chapter. There is no other possibility. It is the president of Assad. It is the king of Assyria. Evil be his name. And the mark of the beast is already in every grocery store and every store in your town. It is there already. Read about the halal mark. Read about the halal mark. And the Muslims actually call it a mark and it's already in your store on the baby formula. An Islamic moon, an Islamic symbol on your baby formula and on some of the deodorants and on other things. And the Muslims admit, the Muslims admit that their goal is to have this Islamic art on every product and service in the entire world and that it will be law that if the mark is not on the product, you will not be allowed to buy it or sell it. And that is already the law in Iran and several other Islamic nations, and even where the nations where it is not yet the law, it is already very extremely, extremely difficult to find any food or product in Ethiopia, Nigeria, Sudan, 
Egypt, and many other African and Middle Eastern nations, and even in Europe, and even in the state of Michigan, and especially in the town of Detroit, extremely difficult to find anything that don't have this mark on it. And it's not just food. It's clothes, and hotels, and motels, and services, and cell phones, and all kinds of stuff. It is everything in this world that is going to have this mark. It is here already. So stop believing in a fairy tale that you're going to fly off to heaven before it happens. It's already happening. Amen. And people in Assyria are already being beheaded for refusing to say that Assad is God above all gods. People are already being beheaded for refusing the mark of the beast. People are already being beheaded for refusing to say that Assad is God above all gods, even God, even above Allah. Muslims are being forced at the point of a sword at their neck, being forced to say as a Muslim that Assad is God, even above Allah. And I have video proof of this on the website. So it's not my opinion. It's reality. It's reality. Amen. Amen. And also the reality is that the consequences of pacifism is self-destruction. Because when we refuse to go to war and we allow Japan to attack us first and when we allow Germany to kill millions of people before we get involved and when we allow people and demons and kings and principalities to rule, and we do not conquer them as the army of God, then the enemy reigns. And the enemy reigns in our neighborhoods, in the churches, and in our families, and in our communities, and across the world. This is, the, the devil is the god of this world because people refuse to push the devil aside. Amen. Amen. Else, the church, traditional church, is nothing but a bunch of wimps. Amen. And you have abortion clinics in your town and everything else in your town because you have refused to stand up against wickedness with all of your might and with, and with the might of God. People are too afraid to be arrested standing up for righteousness. They would rather put finances and pride and fear and many other reasons and excuses over and above the need to stand against wickedness. The church is at fault. Amen. Mostly the false church, but even the true church is at fault and refuses to seize the land that is ours, and even Israel today. Refusing to conquer the Palestinians. They need to just go in there and just wipe out all those Palestinians, every one of them, man, woman, and child. But no, because we know that Iran will attack us. 
Well, so what? So what? Destroy the enemy. Be bold. Be the army of God. If you're God's people, then be God's people. And conquer the enemy. And trust God. Amen. Israel will be invaded 30 days, exactly 30 days. This is the word of God. Israel will be invaded and conquered. I don't care what your pastor said. I don't care what you've read on some website. I don't care what you've been taught in the churches. Israel will be invaded and will be conquered. Thus saith the holy word of God. Thus saith the Bible. Thus saith the Holy Ghost of Jesus. Israel will be conquered. It's happened before and it will happen again. Amen? 30 days exactly. Write it down. Because it will happen. 30 days exactly after the strong delusion in the sky. A sod who is not human, who is not flesh and blood, but spiritual principalities, demons in high places, sitting on the thrones of men, as it was in the days of Noah, Nephilim, giants in the land. So shall it be in the end time, according to Daniel. Amen? Read the Bible. He is a demon. Assad is. In fact, fortune tellers and other witches in the Middle East know the name of Assad as being an angel. They know it, have known it for centuries. Assad is a fallen angel. It is the angel that the fortune tellers and the seances will pray to and call upon in order to bring up the dead and talk to the dead. Assad, they know in the Middle East that's the name of an angel. He is not human. He's a fallen angel. Revelation 12, there should be a war in heaven. That strong delusion, 2 Thessalonians 2, think not that Jesus will come. Until the son of lawlessness, the man of sin, appear first, sitting in the throne of God, in the temple of God, which is in heaven. You're going to see that demon in the sky and all these people that believe in the rapture, when they see the demon in the sky and the fake coming of Jesus, they're going to fall on their knees and worship the devil. They're going to worship the devil's son, the son of lawlessness, the son of perdition. They're going to worship the devil's son in the sky. You can call me crazy. You can laugh. You can mock. They said the same thing about Jesus. They said the same thing about Jeremiah. They said the same thing about Noah. They said the same thing about all the true prophets of God. Amen. The world has never accepted God's prophets and never will. They have always called God's prophets insane. Call me insane all you want. Of course, it only earns me more blessings. Amen. Praise Jesus. These things are written in the Bible. You don't have to believe me. Read 2 Thessalonians 2. This is not my opinion. It's in the Bible. Read it. Believe it. Don't believe me. Read the Bible and believe it. Everything I've said is in the Bible. 
everything. Let's read one more place. Book of Revelation. Revelation 19. Then I'll let you go. Revelation 19, verse 11. The people of this world, they might be pretty ignorant, but the people on this world are not going to worship a man that stands on the Temple Mount. Because anybody could stand on the Temple Mount and say, hey, I'm God, worship me. And the whole world would laugh. Amen. It's going to be so much more powerful than some man standing on the Temple Mount claiming to be God. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the whole world of all nations, of all languages, will worship him, the Antichrist. It says it. It says it. All languages, all nations will worship the Antichrist, the son of perdition. How is that possible? It is only possible, only if he appears in the sky and looks like God, displaying himself as being God. 2 Thessalonians 2 says this. He will display himself as God. He will look like God. He will sit in the, in the throne of God. It's happened before. It's happened before. Read Ezekiel. It's happened before. You say, that, you say that's blasphemy. You say that's impossible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Amen. And yes, even your own family and your next door neighbor, they would say, I saw God coming. He is God. And if you do not worship him, I'm going to turn you into the military. That is what they're going to say. And your own family would turn against you, brother against brothers, written in the Bible. This is true. This is the word of God you're hearing today. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to change your life? Are you going to get serious? Are you going to start reading the Bible? Are you going to fast? Are you going to pray? Are you going to seek the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all your soul? Or you're going to keep living the same life you've been living and ignore the holy word of God that you have heard today from heaven. You know you've heard from heaven today. You know it. What are you going to do about it? Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11, talking about after the end of the tribulation, after we are called up into heaven on the Day of Atonement. And we're called up into heaven on the Day of Atonement of that year. During those 41 and a half days, this is what's going to happen in heaven, especially on the last day of that time. When Jesus and the saints are starting to come down out of heaven and we come back to the earth to conquer the earth and to fight the enemy and to fight the armies of Syria, to fight the armies of China and Russia at the battle of Armageddon. This is what it says in verse 11, Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on that called, was called faithful and true, talking about Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. This is how Jesus is going to come to the earth. 
not in a secret rapture, not invisible, and not just only sitting on a throne, and not in hugging and kissing either, and not in peace either, but he is going to come judging and waging war. That is how he is going to come back to this earth. He judges and wages war. Verse 12, his eyes a flame of fire, and on his head many, many crowns, and he has a name written which no one knows except himself. That is a name, another name in addition to the name Jesus. But Acts 4, verse 12 says that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that talks about in Acts 10, verse 12 and verse 10, that that name is Jesus. So we get saved only in Jesus' name. And that is his name. I don't care what you've heard on some website that thinks they know Hebrew but don't even know Hebrew. They're, they're, they don't even know what Hebrew is if they even saw it. I don't care what you've heard on read on some website, some so-called Hebrew expert. Amen. The Bible says Jesus is his name, and that is the correct translation. And so he has that name, and he has another name which no one knows. Verse 13, clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his title is called the word of the Theos. And the armies which are in heaven, which is me and you, if you go with me there, the armies which are in heaven, the saints, the true Christians, the true followers of Jesus, we are called an army. We are called an army if we actually make it into the first resurrection. An army. An army. Think about that. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen and white clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. This is symbolic. So that with it he may strike the nations, strike down the nations. He will rule them in democracy? No. In peace? No. With hugs and kisses and shaking hands and kissy-kissy? No. But with a rod of iron. That means an iron fist. God, Jesus, going to rule this planet, the entire planet, here on earth. Not in heaven, but here on earth. He comes down out of heaven. Amen. Read the Bible. He comes down out of heaven. And the saints come down out of heaven. We're not going to stay up there forever. We're going to come down out of heaven, following Jesus on white horses as an army. And if we are army and we're following him as our the captain of the army, and he symbolically has a sword coming out of his mouth, which is going to slay the wicked, and the Bible even says that out of his mouth and with his brightness he will slay the Assyrian. Says it. So he comes back fighting. And if we are his army, then we're also going to come back fighting. Have you ever heard that before? I know you haven't, unless you've been listening to these sermons. We are going to come back to this earth fighting. And if you don't want to fight, if you're a pathicist, if you believe that it just needs to be kissy-kissy all the time, 
If you believe in coexistence, then you're not worthy to be part of the army. To be part of God's army, you have got to be willing to fight. And if you're not willing to fight, then you are not going to be part of the first resurrection, but rather you will come up in the second resurrection, which you've never heard about before. Second resurrection, what's that? Read the Bible. And the website at isawthelightministries.com, look for the article about heaven and hell. And it has a very simple address, isawthelightministries.com slash hell.html. Or you can go to the website, and on every page in the website, there is a search box near the bottom of the page where you can type in any words or sentence or phrase to look to find on the website where I talked about it. And you can type into that search box there on the website, any page on the website. Type into the search box, the truth about heaven and hell, and look at the search results and find it that way too. And learn about the second resurrection because the second resurrection is a major part of his plan of salvation. Major part of his plan of salvation, which is not taught in the majority of the churches of mankind. God is coming back. He is in a war at the battle of Armageddon, and we are going to be expected to fight. And if you do not want to fight, then you're not going to be part of that. Amen. We must be willing to fight the enemy and destroy the devil's kingdom. If we want paradise, if we want eternal peace, if we want eternal life, then we first have to conquer all of the enemy, every woman and child, every nation, every kingdom, every spiritual principality. We have to fight them and destroy them. The Bible says destroy the Amalek. But for us today, not knowing who the Amaleks are, we have a much larger spiritual warfare today. And an ultimate deadline and an ultimate goal to usher in the kingdom of God. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world as a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. In Jesus' name, amen.